0: Guys, welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. I am Seventy Sims, and I am the host. And if you are new to the podcast, we are just a community of moms and women who are just seeking and taking steps to become just one percent better each day in the areas of faith, finances, health, marriage, and mindset. And the whole hope is that we're driving generational change. And some of us are just in this maintenance mode, right? And don't have a ton of trauma to work through. And some of us have some serious chains to break and it's okay. This is simply just a safe community that encourages one another, challenges one another, shares, you know, successes, and is just filled with grace when we inevitably fall short. So welcome. And thank you for being here. And so this week kicks off Legacy Through Motherhood's health week. And while today's topic is health related, it's going to focus more on mental health than physical health, which has been kind of what I've been talking about in our previous health episodes. But first, let me bring up two past episodes, because these two are going to be great to listen to kind of in conjunction with this one, if you haven't already. And even if honestly, you just want a refresher to approach this topic with from multiple angles. I'm going to put their links in the show notes of this episode, but these episodes make the perfect trifecta on addiction. So episode seven is called self-limiting beliefs. And this talks about addiction and the difference between being predisposed to something and predestined, right? Like being an alcoholic because our father or our mother was. This episode breaks down the generational implications of addiction and how long it lasts in your family tree. This episode is both scientific and biblical. And so then the next episode I want you to uh, listen to is episode 28, and it's called Conscious Parenting After Generational Trauma with Dr. Laura Forian. And in that episode, Laura and I talk about, oh my gosh, so many things, including how to reparent your inner child that experienced trauma and the epigenetics of trauma transmission. So Dr. Laura does a wonderful, wonderful job at breaking this down so simply and giving really practical ways to help heal trauma. And so this episode is going to be more focused on coping skills that can be taught to your kids or learned yourself in order to change the trajectory of your family's life. And let me tell you why. About half of the cause of addiction is due to genetic predisposition and the other half, the other 50% is due to poor coping skills. The children of addicts are also eight times more likely to develop an addiction to something. And in Dr. Caroline Leaf's book, Switch on Your Brain, it talks about the realities of addiction and the gene that gets turned on. And when it gets turned on, it's turned on for four generations. And I'm going to read a quick excerpt from her book. And this part of the excerpt or part of the book is called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I just, I can't re-say it as good as she wrote it. So let me just read this to you. Taken collectively, the studies on epigenetics show us that the good, the bad, and the ugly do come down through the generations. But your mind is the signal, the epigenetic factor that switches these genes on or off. Therefore, you are not destined to live out the negative patterns of your forebearers. You can instead make a life choice to overcome by tweaking their pattern of expression. Taking this further, the scriptures tell us that the sin of the parents will reach to the third and fourth generations in Exodus 25. And they seem to simply imply that we are responsible for the unconfessed sins of our great-great-grandparents. But we can breathe a sigh of relief when we read Deuteronomy 24, 16 and Ezekiel 18, 19-20, which explain that we are each responsible for our own sins and not those of our ancestors. And I know this seems confusing because the scriptures say that, on one hand, the parents' inequity will be visited on the children. But on the other hand, we are only responsible for our own sins. So here's how it works. Epigenetic changes represent a biological response to an environmental signal. That response can be inherited through the generations via the epigenetic marks. But if you remove the signal, the epigenetic marks will fade. And by the same token, if you choose to add a signal, for example, saying something like, Well, my mother had depression and that's why I have depression. And now my daughter is suffering from depression. Then the epigenetic marks are activated. They're turned on. The thinking and speaking out the problem serve as the signal that makes it a reality. I've seen this over the years in my private practice and in my seminars and even in my own life and the lives of my family and friends time and time again. If we don't wake up to these truths, they will catch us when we're not looking. And before you know it, you will be living a life you didn't plan on living. And if this is you, here's the good news. You can change. So that is a direct excerpt from Dr. Caroline Leafs. Switch on your brain book. It is so, so good. And it was super eye opening, I feel like, when I read that because addiction is something that runs in my family. So it's a topic I'm very in tune with and it's something I'm working intentionally to kind of get out of my family line. Unfortunately, though, it's not just about me not becoming an addict. It's about providing my children with the coping methods and the knowledge to overcome this path in their life. Because even if I live an addiction-free life and model that behavior for them, due to the history of addiction in my family, they will have this addiction gene. And they're going to face a much tougher path to a life of sobriety than maybe some of their friends might have. And you might be asking, like, what does this even mean? (laughs) Well, when this addiction gene is turned on, your body could just react differently to alcohol or to drugs. Your kid's body will act differently to alcohol or drugs. Can It can act differently. And someone who doesn't have that addiction gene may be able to have a drink or whatever else and not really have any desire for another and then another, or no desire there to use it as a way to cope when they encounter stress or depression or anxiety. But if it runs in your family, it may be more tempting or seem more desirable or maybe even natural to use it as a way to cope. Studies show this to be true even if the home they grew up in was completely addiction free. So like if I am not an addict and my husband is not an addict, it's still a gene that my sons have, right? It's just a more slippery slope for those of us who have this gene activated. So without the proper tools to identify triggers or to cope with these stressors, we can, and our children can, fall victim just a little easier than others. And if it's an immediate parent that had an addiction, that means your children and your grandchildren are just a little more vulnerable to be grabbed by addiction. And one thing to point out, is that this addictive gene can manifest in a lot of different ways. And it doesn't just have to be related to substance abuse, addiction to money or success or sex or relationships, food, and a whole host of other things that can be really unhealthy when allowed to take over our mind, all can trigger this same genetic response. And this gene can just manifest in many different ways in the next generation. And someone whose father is an alcoholic could carry that same addiction gene and lose themselves, maybe not in alcohol, but in work, right? Like allowing it to consume them personally and disrupt their lives relationally, which is why I feel it's so important in this episode to provide you guys with some healthy coping methods to stop the destructive pattern from passing through just generationally. And side note, like (laughs) could addiction not run in your family at all, but then, you know, one of you or your siblings or one of your children gets addicted to drugs or alcohol? Of course. Of course. Like, these are powerful substances that change the genetic makeup and the structure of your brain, of your child's brain, of your sister's brain, your brother's, right? Could you pour over your kids sharing, like, how dangerous different, um, you know, substances, substances can be? Yes. And can you ensure that they have healthy coping skills and, you know, whatever, and and still have them fall into addiction of some kind? Of course. (laughs) The answer is yes. And there is no way to fully control this. Like you cannot make decisions for them as they get older, period. But it doesn't mean that we don't try to prepare them the best way that we know how. I mean, should we like not teach our kids how to handle money just because they could possibly at some point in their adult life or whatever, go in, go bankrupt or go into extreme debt because of poor financial decisions? Of course not. Like We're still going to teach them or hopefully teach them some financial literacy. We just do what we know to do and we just teach them the best we can. And there is beauty in the truth and in God's grace that we are not predestined to have this disease. But if they are predisposed, if you are predisposed, then it's something that you and I should really take seriously. Okay. So I want to give you eight simple ways to teach your children coping skills, healthy coping skills. And remember earlier, I said addiction is due in part to genetic predisposition, and then the other 50% of it is due to poor coping skills. So let's focus our energy on what we can control. And these will be in the show notes of this episode if you want to reference them. So don't feel like you need to, you know, scribble them all down. Okay. So number one, we need to be giving our children names for their feelings and more than just happy, sad, mad. (laughs) okay? There are more emotions than just happy and sad and mad, especially our boys. Boys are just notoriously known to not be great communicators, though I think this culture is kind of changing that. And actually it's being said that EQ, which is your emotional intelligence, is more important in life and jobs and whatever else than just your IQ alone. And so feelings are hard, (laughs) (laughs) they're interconnected, they can be confusing. Um, And so just giving your child the gift of specific feelings so they can call them what they are is really powerful. So teach your kids words like jealous, right? Noah will get upset and say to me, I'm just feeling really jealous right now, mom, because he got to pick the show first or something, you know. And it always makes me a little proud that he didn't just say mad. Because he may be mad that his brother got to pick a show, but really it's jealousy that he's feeling. And that's a super important distinction. Other feelings you can teach them are, you know, worried or scared and disappointed, which disappointed is different than sad, right? Then there's confused or nervous or annoyed, which is different than mad <laughs> you get the point point. and one of the ways you can help them learn these is to coach them through how they're feeling when the feelings come up so if we go back to that jealous example i was talking about with noah the first time this happened so side note in the morning i like alter them let them pick a show so sometimes noah gets to pick a show other times wesley gets to pick a show it just depends right and so the first time this happened noah just said i am so mad that he got to pick a show first And I just said to him, hmm, are you mad at him? Did he do something wrong or did he hurt you? Or do you feel jealous because you wanted to pick a show first, but he got to do that this morning? Do you see how this distinguishes the difference between the two? Like Wesley didn't hurt him and he wasn't mean to him. That morning, it was just Wesley's turn to pick a show. So I taught him that his heart was feeling jealous, not mad. And we work through that. And so now <laughs> I'll hear him say, I just feel like I kind of feel jealous right now. I'm like, good word, buddy. <laughs> good job. <laughs> okay. So number two, this really isn't a coping skill, but I think it's empowering for you to know. So there are four main types of coping skills. There is calming coping skills. Think like deep breathing or meditation. Then there's distraction type of coping skills which would be maybe like counting backwards or watching a funny movie or a video. I mean, the point here is just to distract yourself until the intense feeling that you're feeling calms down a little bit and you can think straight. Then there's physical coping skills. Think exercising or really even relaxing, resting, um, and then processing coping skills. Think writing through an experience or something that happened in a journal, uh, drawing, that kind of thing. So there are four different types of coping skills. Um, So calming, distraction, physical, and processing. Okay, number three, avoid the HALT symptoms. All right, HALT just stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. (laughs) We all know nothing comes from being any of those four things. So the HALT symptoms, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Okay, so being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired can be an easy way to fall into just negative choices, right? It's kind of like when people say, don't go to the grocery store hungry (laughs) or don't make a big decision while you're angry or lonely. Typically, the results aren't super positive or are very short-term focused rather than looking at like long-term stuff. So to consciously recognize when one of these halt symptoms are present, it's really empowering right? Because it can typically indicate that you may be doing something out of reaction mode and not, uh, you know, being proactive about something and, or really we shouldn't be making decisions when we're really heightened emotionally. Okay. So number four, serve others is actually scientifically proven. You should look this up, um, that helping others is actually a great coping skill. Helping others kind of makes you feel good about yourself. So if you are ever struggling with your worthiness or you're feeling lonely or helpless, typically choosing to serve someone else can boost your feelings of being needed and worthy. And if your child is feeling sad or kind of moping around or whatever, like a quick, hey, bud, I really need your help with this. Or, you know, hey, could you help me figure this out really quick? I I can't figure it out. Like that could go a really long way just gives them purpose in the moment, even finding an activity that can serve their siblings or do something nice for a friend, maybe write a letter to a teacher. I don't know, whatever your kid likes to do, um, that can just get their mindset in a more positive place. Okay. Number five, writing. So writing is a great coping skill. Seeing your thoughts and emotions on paper can help you deal with them efficiently. Why? (laughs) Well, for one, you write way slower than you think or you talk. And so in your mind, you might be bouncing around from like thing to thing to thing to thing (laughs) faster than you can even process it. So having to actually write words and letters and think through what you're going to write down and putting them in some kind of linear order, it just works really well to process and slow your brain down. Drawing, works great for kids also um, who are unable to write. Okay, number six, giving a toolbox to your child. And I'm talking coping skill toolbox here. For example, you could have a, when I feel blank, fill in the blank, I can fill in the blank conversation with your child. Teach your child to say, when I feel sad, I can write or ask for a hug or draw or listen to a happy song or do 10 jumping jacks, right? My son, son Noah, actually sometimes has some really big emotions. They're not quite panic attacks, but they kind of resemble them. And I have taught him a couple of things that he can do when he gets to that point. And I remind him every single time during this I'm just going to call it a panic attack. That's not what it is. Um, And also afterwards. Okay. Once he's calmed down, I also remind him different things he can do to kind of come back into this calmer space. Okay. Number seven, yoga. Yoga is a great physical coping skill. It really connects the mind with the body and can be an incredibly helpful coping skill because actually it kind of encompasses everything that we talked about in number two. It's obviously physical. It's a distraction because it's pretty hard and it takes some focus. It's calming because it's slow and it could be, be a processing coping skill also because it's quiet, right? And it's, it's a type of exercise that really can help you connect with how you're feeling about any given situation. And there are a ton of great kid yoga videos on YouTube and teaching your kid just even two or three of these poses could be really, really beneficial for them. And one simple, just first step here is as well would be to start with breathing exercises, like focusing on deep and deliberate breaths, release endorphins and just clears and focuses your mind, allowing yourself and your kids to just better process your emotions. So yes, yoga, but also just like deep and slow breathing have been proven to just help um, lower cortisol so, so much. Number eight, affirmations. The world, you guys, feeds us and our children so much dag on information. And a lot of times we feel like we're not good enough or maybe we're undervalued or we're being attacked and we take on other people's opinions as our identity. And you guys, our kids are no different. Like daily affirmations are just a great way to help your kids remind themselves who they are. It does not negate necessarily what the world has to say about them, right? But it does a good job at being a constant reminder of who they are. And I talk about this in episode two, the battle for your mind, a lot more in depth. But if you have signed up for the Legacy Through Motherhood email list, then you actually got my free affirmation guide for you and your little ones in the welcome email. If you haven't signed up yet, you can just go to www.simsarrows.com dot com, S-I-M-S-A-R-R-O-W-S dot com to sign up or you can click on the link in the show notes either way. Also, you guys being a part of my email list, that is just the best way to stay connected with some free resources that I provide every single freebie that I make you guys get um, automatically. So you got to get on there. Okay. So let's recap really quickly. We just went through all eight. Number one, Help them name their feelings, something other than mad, sad, happy, you know, the very basic ones, especially as they start to get older. I mean, maybe for a two-year-old, like happy, sad, mad, that makes sense. But if they're four, five, six, like they need to understand what it means to feel anxious or disappointed or uh, nervous or um, well, jealous, okay? that You're doing them a disservice if we're not teaching them. So number two, coping skills are kind of under four main categories. There's physical coping skills, processing coping skills, distraction, coping skills, and calming coping skills. Number three, avoid the halt symptoms, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And when I say avoid, obviously you're going to get hungry and angry and lonely and tired. I don't mean to not ever be those things. I mean that if you are like getting really worked up or you're really emotionally charged, you need to get make sure that you're not hungry. <laughs> go eat yourself a sandwich, go eat a Snickers, right? You need to make sure you're not angry. Calm yourself down. This is the whole point of coping skills is you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed. Your children are feeling emotionally overwhelmed. And so when you're one of those four things, okay, if we're we're coming back to addiction here, you guys, if you're if you're starving <laughs> angry, lonely, you're tired, you're vulnerable in those four states. You're very vulnerable. And if you have a uh, predisposition and you have maybe this uh, vulnerability to addiction, those four areas, staying in those for like a prolonged period of time can just be a slippery slope. So it's really powerful that you need to make sure that you're in check. So when you're feeling super angry or you're super lonely, think, oh, okay, okay. I need to go have coffee with a friend. (laughs) I need to like calm down, I need to journal, I need to do whatever instead of, let me pour a glass of wine. Let me drink another beer, okay? Listen, I'm not knocking wine, I'm talking about addiction here. Okay, so that is why we are avoiding being in those symptoms for any amount of elongated time. All right, number four, serving others. When we help others, it immediately makes us feel better about ourselves. Number five, writing because we process slower. We slow our brains down when we write versus just think or even talk. Drawing is a good alternative for this if your kids cannot write yet. Um, Number six, give your children a toolbox. I'm going to actually talk about this in just a little bit um, more in depth. Okay. So number seven is yoga and yoga is great because you guys, you can start so young with yoga, with different positions and whatever else. And really it encompasses so many great coping skills strategies. So like I said, you know, it does the physical, it does, it helps with the processing, it distracts and it's calming all in one. And another one that we talked about in number seven was just deep breathing. There's different, types of deep breathing that you can do. You can do really slow breathing. Uh, You can Google what box breathing is. There's a couple different types of box breathing you can do. It's basically just being super in tune with your breathing uh, just in general. And it's a way to kind of really slow it down and it helps lower cortisol and whatever else. Okay. Number eight, affirmations. The world is going to throw a million and 19 things at us. Uh, Affirmations is a way we can just take control and keep telling ourselves who we actually are. So it's natural for a child that feels out of control to act out of control. It's actually super healthy because when you feel out of control and you suppress it, like a lot of times adults do, you get issues. (laughs) Right? We we can't throw tantrums even though we want to. Like if something is happening and we feel really out of control at work, we cannot throw like we can't drop to the floor and start kicking and screaming. That's what we want to do. Um, And next week, actually, we talk about stress and that kind of thing with Dr. Heather Rhodes. And so I'm not going to get into that, but it's, it's really healthy that if a child feels out of control, they act out of control or they act in some way to release that stress. Now, with that said, there is an appropriate way to release stress right? And as children, they're just learning that. So tantrums are kind of appropriate for a child because they're just, they don't know any better, right? And that they're just doing what they what their body is telling them to do. But a kid who has healthy coping skills can feel out of control, but then act in control 100% of the time, of course not, right? But at least has the option <laughs> to do so because they know how to work through some big, and hard feelings. And later in life, you know, kids who don't know how to deal with their feelings or don't know what their feelings even are, are way more likely to turn to unhealthy coping strategies like alcohol or food or sex or drugs or whatever. Kids are smart and grownups are smart and we're both going to adapt one way or another. We're going to find a way to cope, whether it is healthy or it is not healthy, right? And the earlier we can start teaching our kids to name how they are feeling and then what to do after they feel it, the higher success rate we will have and they will have at quote unquote beating that addiction gene that runs in our families. And these are things that need to be explicitly taught to our children. Y'all, they don't just know what a coping mechanism is. (laughs) Their coping mechanism is a tantrum or to lash out or to be physical with themselves or with their brothers or sisters, right? And this is best taught. Coping skills are best taught intentionally when there is not a meltdown happening at that very moment. I'm going to say that again. Coping skills are best taught intentionally when there is not a meltdown happening at that very moment, you know, do yoga or breathing exercises a couple times a week with your kid. Maybe have them write every once in a while about their day, hey, how was your day today? Can you like write about it? Let's let's write, you know, grandma a, a letter or something about how you're feeling today and whatever. If they're bored, have them watch like a funny video and say, did you notice how you're feeling so much better now? You were so bored and kind of grumpy and now you're feeling better after watching this video. You know, start their days and end their days with affirmations, and I talk about that again in um, the Battle for Your Mind episode. Just so that you're filling them up with who they are, and how special and how kind they are, how patient and how chosen they are. Like having that bank of coping skills that you've worked on outside the parameters of a tantrum can help. Number one, prevent thank you Jesus, a ton of meltdowns. And this is true with toddlers or teenagers. It can also be used to stop something, stop a meltdown before it peaks or before it happens. Like if you see a child starting to get super worked up, like you might be able to say, Hey, hey, bud, you know, Hey, Wesley, you seem like you're kind of getting super irritated right now with your brother. Hey, let's go over here and watch this funny video that you love. Or, let's go to your room really quick and we can count backwards for 10. We'll see who can, you know, count backwards from 10. We'll see who can do it the quickest or whatever. Okay. Then here's the awesome thing. When they are in complete meltdown mode, you can now offer things that you know they love to help coach them out of this meltdown. Now, especially with little, little kids, If they are in a complete meltdown mode and they aren't thinking rationally, like you're not trying to reason with a four-year-old who has lost their ish. (laughs) What you want to do is teach them how to come back to reality. So you offer their favorite thing, which you've learned by trying this kind of stuff outside of meltdowns you've learned it by writing a letter to grandma or you know counting backwards from 10 or you know watching a video together or whatever else you're you're gathering tools that your child really really loves to do outside of a tantrum so that when they're in the tantrum you can pull these out in that moment so for example if my son is having a meltdown like a full on meltdown I know that he loves cat fail videos (laughs) and he gets super worked up and will also need to kind of get his breathing under control because he'll start to like hyperventilate. So when he is in the thick of it, I will say, Hey bud, like you are super worked up right now. How do you think you could calm yourself down? And I'll wait, or I'll sometimes literally say, Hey, what tools? do you know of that you can use and i'll just pause right and usually he can name some he's 8 now a new 8 usually he can name some but he just doesn't want to do them you know what i mean he don't care <laughs> he don't care in the moment he's all upset and i just hold that space for him he's having a meltdown i'm asking him hey what tools do you know and i know he knows them because we've worked on them okay and so maybe for, I don't know, a minute, I just, I just let him sit in that space and I really try to see if he will start to do any of them on his own. And then I might ask again, and this time I might say, Hey, I have those funny cat fail videos on my phone. What do you say we watch it and you work on your breathing? And usually he'll hesitantly agree because you guys, he loves them. And so I put the video on and it's like, you can see his entire body just relax as he starts to laugh right? Like the first part of it, he's trying not to laugh because he's so upset. And then he just starts cracking up laughing. Tears are rolling. You know, It it just breaks the ice. And once he's calm, I will typically talk through what happened with him. And you guys, this is super, super simple, super quick. And so I'll say, hey, let's remember the next time this happens. And maybe you can like ask for this when you get really upset but remember like you were really really upset and this cat video kind of brought you down so that you're feeling better let's remember that next time so when you get upset ask mom for a cat video or if you feel like you're getting really worked up ask for one right or you can do your breathing whichever one like you you know exactly how to how to calm yourself down great job bud you know like And what that doing is just solidifying the fact that, A, what he's doing is fine. It's totally normal for all of us to lose our crap every once in a while, right? But number two, like, hey, I'm just pointing out things that worked for you that you really loved. And number three, you got this. Like, you're in control. (laughs) You are totally capable of of doing that stuff yourself, right? Now, it's going to take a couple times of me coaching him through a meltdown for him to have that mental... Muscle memory, or whatever the heck you want to call these things, and for him to be able to recognize it and ask for it. But it's important to find something they like outside of them having a meltdown and point them to that during their meltdowns. Think about it. Like if you specifically were super upset and like fuming about something, and your husband or your partner, your sister, friend, mom, whatever, said, Hey, why don't you try some yoga? Well, If I love yoga already and I feel super grounded and centered when I do yoga, then that nudge to do yoga to calm down is enticing and it kind of catches the attention of that primal fight or flight part of my brain that's in control right now because I love doing yoga. But if I have never done yoga in my entire life and I hated yoga, then that might make me feel more annoyed or more upset because it's not super helpful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's really, really helpful as parents if we can nudge our children into finding the coping skills that they love and that work for them. And not everyone, you guys, loves to write or draw or watch cat fail videos. <laughs> like, we're all different. And guess what? All four of your children, what? All four of my children are different. And I'm assuming all of your children are different. So your job is is just to help your kid find what calms them down, what can snap them out of it. And if you just Google like coping skill lists, you can literally find hundreds of ideas. I mean, I guarantee if you Googled coping skills on Pinterest, like a million different types of things would come up. So the other great thing that this does And one of the most important and often missed pieces of this puzzle is once they've kind of achieved a more level head, right? You can unpack the situation, you know, what triggered them, why did it have such a big impact on them and potentially work together to kind of chip away at that trigger so they can stay calmer and maybe avoid a blow up before it ever comes to that point. Now, again, That sounds super, you know, deep, like you're going to sit and have this big theoretical, you know, conversation with your child. It's not. It's just sitting down and saying something as simple as this. Hey, bud, like you got really upset. Like what happened? Well, you know, I don't know. Wesley took my toy or Wesley, you know, did this. Oh man. Okay. Well, let's talk about, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a very simple thing. So don't feel like you need to have the perfect words. Don't feel like you need to have it all some kind of like, you know, deep understanding of triggers or behavior to be able to just sit down on the floor and have a conversation with your four-year-old. Like it really is just listening to what they have to say. And I think it's also important here to say that your relationship with them after a meltdown is really, really primed to be built here. And what I mean by that is that once they've come down, they're kind of exhausted. They've had that like adrenaline rush and then crash. And so they're a little bit vulnerable. They're probably, especially if they're young, like feeling really attached to you. Like they want to hug, they want to sit in your lap. Like they just feel really drained. And at this point, when, if you're asking them like, buddy, what happened? You know, like what, whatever. And they're talking to you, you guys, especially if they're three, you know, it's like, my brother took my car. Like it seems so simple, but in their little world, it's huge. And I always remember whatever the quote is that says, like, if you don't listen and really care about the small things that they tell you when they're younger, they're not going to tell you about the big things that happen when they're older, because to them, it was all big things, right? Like the truck that his brother stole at three was huge in his mind. And some big thing that's happening when he's 16 is huge in his mind again. And so just giving them that um, affirmation, I guess, that what they felt was real, you know, even as a, even if as like an adult we're like, oh my gosh, that was literally the dumbest thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just affirming like, oh man, yeah, that really, that must've been really hard because to them it is big. Like that's their entire world. So Anyways, to wrap all this up, I've said this so many times, like we're all just doing the best we can with what we know. But the power comes in knowing better so that we can do better, like Maya Angelou said. And if your kids are grown, y'all, it's not too late to teach them the concept of coping skills. Maybe you didn't even realize that there were this many different types of coping skills. And a lot of times, this is why we seek out hobbies as an adult, and all of a sudden they can be so therapeutic like running or journaling or just, you know, whatever else, all of a sudden, we find this thing as an adult. And we're like, Oh, my gosh, I could just, you know, run forever, I could go on a walk forever, I could, you know, write and journal for hours, like we find this coping skill that's really positive and healthy, and we just dive into it. And so the more tools we have in our tool belt (laughs) to turn to, the more equipped we are, when challenges arise, the more equipped our kids are when challenges arise. But remember that no matter what challenge you are facing or how deep the roots of addiction or stress or anxiety are in your life and your family, you are already enough. Join me next week as I interview Dr. Heather Rhodes. The topic for this week is marriage, and we have a very powerful discussion about stress and low libido and exhaustion and how to combat just all the things. Dr. Rhodes also gives away an amazing perk to all Legacy Through Motherhood listeners, and you do not want to miss it. So make sure to tune in next week to see what she's making available to you guys. I am so privileged to just walk this journey of motherhood with you and to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.